The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. We are Jonathan Dunn, that's me, and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Unlimited Saga. And Minty Booth. Impulse City. And we are chatting about our very favourite video games. Yep. Announcement! Announcement! So, last week you will have heard that we have started a new competition. The competition involves you sharing an article from our website on your social media platforms. Our website is o3c.games. Our social media platforms are basically at O3C Games on everything. So what you need to do, go onto our website, have a read of our articles, share them on your social media and tag us in the post and then you will be eligible for this competition. What will you win, we hear you ask? Well, I'll tell you the answer to that now. You will win a copy of Back for Blood on Steam. If you don't know what Back for Blood is, it's basically the spiritual successor to the Left for Dead games. It's a multiplayer, online, co-op, zombie, shootery, great time. And not only will you win a copy of that, but also you will win the opportunity to play a co-op session with us. And we'll be streaming that on our Twitch channel. We'll be uploading it to our YouTube channel afterwards. You're in for a great time. And we'll also give you access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord server. What a great opportunity. So if you want to get involved with us and play some games, then share our articles and, well, you know what? We'll get back to you. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys while ditching the numpad and the F keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection and the precision you need to click heads. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless, a terrific twosome to keep your setup clean and clutter-free. So we are amending our lists even further. We're on the, what I'm calling now the home straight. Uh, We've got basically like five amendments left each. And what are we going to do with them? You're just going to have to listen to find out. And you don't have to listen for too long to find out what Chris's next amendment is, because he'll be telling us all about that today, a little bit later on. And you'll also be telling us what game is getting the chop. What game you've said, you know what? I was wrong when I put that in my top 100 list. Dead wrong. Let's write that wrong. Bang wrong. Yeah. And I'm. you know what? I'm still sad that Boogerman isn't in your top 100. Uh, that's a great game. It is a great game. And it holds up. It does. I played it through only a month ago. Well, there we go. To completion a month ago. <laughs> After I took uh, Jurassic Park on the Game Boy for a run on uh, my... Uh, RetroArch set up on my Steam Deck, I then booted up Boogerman. Good job. That was always the aim of my <laughs> emulation, like because I didn't have a Mega Drive, and I didn't have a SNES either. There were only two things I wanted to run, Boogerman on the Mega Drive and Super Mario World. What a pairing. Ooh, I know. That's like when you go out for a fine meal and you ask, what wine is going to really bring out the flavours in, in this delicious dish? And the guy just bends over, peels his cheeks and farts a flame in your face. It's like... <laughs> Have that with your masterpiece. But before we get onto all of that stuff, we're going to talk about what we played this week, and we're going to start off with Minty. Minty, catch us up on what your gaming activity has consisted of. I know one thing you played this week, and I'm I didn't really debrief with you after it because I let you uh, get your handsome mitts on my steamy deck, 
and uh, and I gave you a wizard's whirl at Doom <laughs> Eternal. How did you find it? Yeah, uh, I didn't play that much of it. I think I maybe did two or three of those big fight set pieces, um, which I assume is just what the entire game is like. <laughs> yeah. Being, yeah, being shuttled from from one arena to the other, and just being. Um, there's no other word for it. Besieged. <laughs> Besieged by just hordes and hordes of, of, of horrible creatures. And as we know, my history with first-person shooters is, um, is, is sparse and, uh, and, and, and flecked with poor ability. <laughs> and so jumping in straight into ultraviolence was probably not the best. Your choice. Let's, let, I'm just going to take a minute to remind you that was your choice. I th- I said to myself in my head because I'm too young to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I said to myself, Doom should be played on ultra violence, shouldn't it? Famously, depends if you want to enjoy it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what most of the uh, most of the speedrun categories are. Like you know, UV max, UV speed. Um, yeah, those professional, you know, by those professional gamers that can literally afford to do nothing else with their time. Well, uh, yeah, I suppose so. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, th- thinking back on it, it probably wasn't uh, probably wasn't the best <laughs> choice, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. What little I played, um, yeah, it was it was good fun to play. Like it, it, it sounds like a fucking jet engine. <laughs> oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I guess absurd. just because it just needs to to keep all of its incredibly robust guts cool. Yeah. Good thing you can turn the volume up quite loud so that's you know every cloud yeah yeah drown it out mm. yeah so that, that that was quite fun a nice little introduction will i get one probably not at least not in the in the, in the next couple of years uh yeah no one will chris probably won't <laughs> just as an aside I, there's a site set up that kind of calculates the most likely date you'll receive yours depending on when you ordered brilliant and uh my pre-order could be like mid-august they reckoned <gasps> Ooh. So uh, it's not very close. Hmm. And and even then, having to find the money to actually pay for it, since, you know, the pre-order is just a ticket that says you're allowed to buy one. The longer it takes, the more time you've got to make the money. That's true. That's true. So if I just continually sell, you know, a sack of my belongings a month until August, I'll be, I'll be fine. There you go. Yeah. 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 Or don't buy mindless shit. No. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I forgot that's not an option. That's that's the non-negotiable there of the Chris Dow lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's very much my MO at this stage. <laughs> hmm. Uh, yeah, so a little bit of Doom Eternal. Uh, and that, 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 that was it for that hefty thing, that, that big old slate. Um, what else have I been playing? I do not know. Not a huge amount, actually. Um, still chugging along with the old vital bracelet there. Currently loaded up onto my watch is um, some sort of hammerhead shark man. Picture this, right? You're, you're looking at like a at some sort of beam, like a wooden beam that goes across a doorway. Uh-huh. And somebody's standing behind it and their head is hidden by it. And you think, oh, that's just a normal fellow over there. But then he ducks down to get into the room and he's got the head of a hammerhead shark. Cool. That's That's what this Digimon that I currently have is. Like I was there. Yeah, yeah. Glad I wasn't. Well, I, me, me too. Because you could get eaten by a shark. To be honest with you. God. Um, yeah. So that's it. Just chugging away at uh, the Impulse City um, family tree. Nearly finished with it, which I'm very happy for because I've said, as I've said numerous times, unhappy with uh, with the Digimon that are loaded on it. I think they're all purpose made and exercise based, and they're just not that interesting, really. What else have I been playing? Um, 
meagre, meagre progress on Rune Factory. Aside from the initial burst, it's not really gripped me. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even done with the story yet. So oh, wow, yeah. So I think I might just get to the end of the story. I'll marry one person and <laughs> just, and then just send it back. I think uh, I'm sure there are many other, many other fun games out there that uh, will probably grip me a little better. Um, I think that's. Oh, I did start playing Turok Two again. <laughs> I thought to myself, why not? After playing Doom Eternal, I was like, I don't need to buy it. I've got. A, I've got a world-beating first-person shooter right on my Switch. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's more for us, because like, if you can enjoy that game as much as I'm enjoying a £50 game on a £500 piece of hardware, then... And, and to be honest, I didn't really enjoy playing Doom Eternal that much. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, there we go. I'm, I'm absolutely losing. There you go. I don't know why you're mocking me. <laughs> I don't believe I was. <laughs> I tried to make that clear. Look at him enjoying the things that don't cost huge amounts of money. Peon. It's strange, isn't it? What, what we're essentially doing, when I groan at Turok, I'm, I'm mocking the idea that if I was minty and playing it, with my experience, I would not be enjoying it. But that's that's not how the world works, is it? No, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. If someone else says this thing in front of me is something I enjoy, it's like, well, who gives a fuck what I think? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's nothing to do with anything, <laughs> yeah. is it? My whole opinion is void. Yeah. Let's just shut down this show. Yeah, exactly. Why are we sharing any of this stuff? You're absolutely right. Exactly. By that logic, you may as well just say, well, I think less of you for your opinion. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Chris, I didn't realise you were a Nazi. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I did attempt to play a bit more Doom Eternal and uh, I think the thing I said I I had put a bit of time into it before when I first got it or or I thought I did um, because I played the first level which isn't much further in the game than than you got minty right and uh and i was like oh man that's probably you know two or three hours i've played there and it was like 13 minutes <laughs> of game time and it's just like it's just it's so intense it is so much fun it's just absurdly graphic and violent and gratuitous uh and it's it's so silly and it's a lot of fun even though like i really enjoy playing something like ghost runner uh, which is obviously again like really fast paced really you know sort of violent and intense there's something about the little self-contained loops that you're in in ghost runner that you know don't make it feel like you're being besieged um, to, <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to continue that but i did i, I said i like, after i played ghost runner i potentially opened the door uh, to play uh, other first person games on the steam deck and i thought well doom eternal I've, I've got right there so i may as well may as well give it a go but yeah, it's not. It's just not really what I'm in the mood for at the moment. It's too maybe maybe I you know yeah I do just need a, a change of pace. But I did I did finish Ghost Runner. I was really close to the end when I spoke about it last week. And even though I said yeah I, I have sort of got to grips with the first person controls on the dual analog sticks, uh, there were some sections right at the very end which were like by far the hardest bits of like platforming and parkouring you you have to do. And I really could have used a mouse and keyboard for those. But, I mean, I did, you know, I, I, I did manage to get through them without snapping my slate of a Steam Deck in half. Uh, and to be honest, it was really the only instance where I felt that the game was being a bit unfair. And that still ultimately came down to my lack of prowess with dual analogue first-person controls. Or possibly, 
to do with how I changed the button setups to control this game. Maybe I would have had an easier time if I trusted how the developers wanted me to play it. Who knows? I think you would have. I think you would have. Maybe. Did you map jump to like the same as Elden Ring? So one of the face buttons? Yeah. Yeah. So from the sm- much smaller amount I played of Ghost Runner, because you always have jump on the shoulder buttons, you, you never have your fingers off the analog sticks. That is very true, isn't it? Didn't even think about that. Even early on, you, you really get the feel that you need to be able to look basically 360 degrees at almost all times. Yeah, I mean, that is, that, is literally, that is literally solving the problem I had at the end there. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. So basically, you've played it on uh, Expert Plus mode. Yeah, goodness <laughs> You've me. basically done it playing it on Donkey Konga Bongos. I may as well have done. I may as well have done. <laughs> I, was, I was literally queuing up a mocking sentence to be like, oh yeah, Chris, I should take your opinion on that, having played an hour of it. <laughs> but nope, you're dead right. Absolutely yep. dead right. Uh I, I'll switch my control scheme back uh, because I, I think I am going to continue playing it because there's there's a, a whole bunch of uh, collectibles and stuff that I missed playing through the normal levels and I can go through them and, you know, yeah, try for a better time and a better score and less deaths and all that. And there's also DLC for the game, which I... Well, it looks really, really good because uh, apparently you play as one of the main antagonists from, the, you know, the main story. Yeah. And I think that'd be really cool because you'd have, like, a whole host of different skills at your disposal which would, you know, obviously challenge you to play the game in a quite a different way um but yeah i'm gonna i think i'll i mean the the cost of the dlc is about 11 quid and i so far haven't paid for a copy of ghost runner i probably shouldn't say i'll, I'll wait i'll pick it up in a sale yeah uh, i probably will wait until <laughs> get it in a sale but we'll see we'll see uh, i have unlocked a hardcore mode oh which uh i i the thing is like i might try my hand at that Actually, now that I know how to control the game, thanks, uh, I, I might <laughs> I might be better equipped for that. Um, but I think, like like I sort of alluded to with Doom Eternal and me playing it on, like, I'm too young to die difficulty, I don't, obviously, I don't feel the need to sort of prove myself as a, a gamer and, like, how good I am at hard games or anything. Um, I can just show you my playtime on Sekiro or Elden Ring or any of the Dark Souls games, you know, whatever. Yeah, that'll, that'll do it. And sometimes you do just want a power trip. Uh, and, like, Doom Eternal on, like... I mean, to be, to be honest, I was still getting my arse handed to me. And that was literally one of the things that happened at one point. That was one of the executions. He a demon just reached down, grabbed my sphincter from down my throat, pulled it out, <laughs> and then, then just, like, wrapped it up with a little bow and went... There you go. Um... <laughs> That, that that didn't happen. I wish it did. Enjoy. <laughs> bon appetit. Uh, <laughs> that's very silly. But yeah, I have been sort of struggling to find the sort of the game that I, I want to play next on my Steam Deck. So I, I'd, I'd made a start on Doom Eternal and thought, oh, that's just not quite right, maybe right now. And then I thought, actually, I'll give the, the most recent Thief game a go, which was Thief 4, because there isn't Steam Deck support for the original three Thief games. And I remember I, I enjoyed Thief 4 like more than critics implied that I would when I first played it, but I really couldn't be bothered with it this time round. I, I, I didn't quite realise how many elements of control are taken away from you with how it's asking you to play it. It's it, it's not quite on the level of something like Rise with like its co- constant quick time events, Yeah, but it, it feels very much more like going down that route than what I want from my Thief experience, which is something a bit more open, organic and explorative. Uh, so I've been that straight away and uh, played a bit more Dark Souls 3 on my Steam Deck and then thought, why am I doing this? I'd rather replay Elden Ring. So I started a new game plus on my <laughs> Steam Deck file. Uh, 
And that's been great. That's been great fun. Are you going for all the achievements on Elden Ring? I think I probably will now. Yeah, I feel... Uh, obviously, I really enjoy doing that for Sekiro. Yeah. And, um, and it does give you, obviously, a slightly different objective playing the, through the game you know a second time uh, which means you're, you're coming at it with slightly different perspective and, and all of that sort of stuff yeah so I think I know there's a few endings to get on that and I'm sure I can blast through through it a fair a fair lick yeah um, not that I'm gonna speed run it or anything but it's just it's just fun like I said it's a bit of a power trip but I've also bought and started a new playthrough of The Outer Worlds. Oh, lovely. Mm. I like that game. You do. You famously love that game. And I'd I'd bought it on your recommendation on Epic Games. And uh, Epic Games doesn't have support on Steam Deck. But I really, I was like, actually, I think that's, I think that's the game I want to play because I wanted sort of something open world that had RPG elements in it, you know, with sort of nice, nice, clear sort of checkpoint markers of where to go and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I didn't, I didn't want to play Skyrim again, and I didn't, I really couldn't be asked to try Fallout Four again before convincing myself again that it wasn't worth my time. So uh, I managed to find a, a fairly sort of a cheap CD key for a bundle of The Outer Worlds and both the pieces of DLC for Steam, and I'm. I'm really enjoying that. Maybe, I don't know, halfway through where I'd got to in my playtime before. But I'm, I'm just still really enjoying it. I love the writing in it. Uh, I love the fact that there's consequences in the game. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really nice. It's a great world to explore. It's just so colourful and just so much character and personality. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. One last thing. One last thing is I have done what I said I was going to do. And I started playing through Bloodborne uh, again. Oh, yes. Yeah, back on the PlayStation. Yes, yeah. So I, I downloaded that on the PS5. Uh, but boy, boy, oh boy. I'm going to say this. It hasn't aged very well. Whoa. And that's a huge shame. And it's not coming down to the design of the game. It, it is purely coming down to the performance of the game, which to be honest, was already quite wobbly. I mean, certainly if you've played, you know, Dark Souls 2 on the PS4, Dark Souls 3, uh, even Dark Souls Remastered, Sekiro, Elden Ring, are all running at 60 frames per second. And you really do need that when, you know, obviously the game requires split-second reactions. Bloodborne is capped at 30 frames per second. It's not the end of the world, given the fact that I, I first played Dark Souls on the Switch, and that ran at, you know, 30 frames per second. But it ran at 30 frames per second, <laughs> which Bloodborne does not. It barely reaches that. It's it's all over the place, uh, to be honest. And like, even though the game is in 1080p HD, like, some of the textures look so low resolution. And like, the art direction, which is, is brilliant, it's got loads of little elements and details and stuff like that, that just don't render very well and the game just looks really messy especially when it's blown up on a big 4k tv and uh yeah i've just really struggled to get back into it because yeah i mean obviously i've been spoiled by the likes of all those games i just mentioned i mean the thing is even even sekiro and elden ring playing those on the steam deck at 30 frames per second yeah that felt a lot more solid than bloodborne and I've always kind of scoffed a little bit at people saying, oh, we really want a Bloodborne remaster or like, oh, remake Bloodborne. And I'm like, well, it's only one generation behind. You don't need that. But golly darn goshes, it really, really does need one. If, to be honest, this game is going to be preserved or, you know, go the other direction with it. Like that team of devs who are doing the PS1 demake of it, which uh, actually <laughs> looks really, really good. I mean, to be honest, if the frame rate was capped at 
25 frames per second and it ran at that consistently, I'd prefer that. And if it was on the Steam Deck, I don't think I'd mind the resolution, you know, texturing issues at all. But I can't play it on there and I'm struggling to play it on the PlayStation. So I'm really not sure uh, what it means for its inevitable amendment in my list. Um, bin, bin, it's gone, bin. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an incredible game in terms of design, in terms of uh, its gameplay and its setup. It is a game that's really hampered by its performance. And I think if anybody that's anybody that's going to query me on this, I say, okay, play a bit of Elden Ring on your PS5, then boot up Bloodborne. And then, then we'll talk. <laughs> um, because yeah, yeah, I love it. If it just just got just got a facelift and a just the standard like PS Five upgrade bundle that happens, I'd happily pay. To be honest, I'd pay full price for it. Like it, it deserves it. It's such a beautiful game, but yet its preservation is uh, is in jeopardy. So uh, if you can spare two pound a month, um, court, no, uh, yeah, and I still haven't picked up my Switch. I've been hankering to play the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 DLC, the standalone thing, Torna, the Golden Country, because I never got around to playing that, and I really do want to beat that before Xenoblade 3 comes out. And um, Time's running out. A few of our Patreons are, are very, very excited about this over on the Discord server, um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get my... Uh, my pickle's taken a perk, so uh, yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I may make uh, may make moves to uh, finding where I've left my switch because I don't know where it is. <laughs> Shameful, Chris. What have you played this week? Well, you're talking about games that need uh, rock solid performance. Uh, I finished EA's Tetris on the PS3, 60 frames per second all the way. <laughs> oh, lovely, love it, love it. I got all the trophies. Of course, you did. Two tasks in particular were really tough. The first one was achieving an all clear, which is also called a bravo by Tetris aficionados, which is when you manage to wipe the entire well of pieces. And in regular gameplay, when things are just firing down, uh, unless you're a savant, it's basically impossible. But you can, from kind of a cold boot, learn a setup, which means that if you get a certain run of bits, you can kind of tip the odds in your favour. So that took me 10, 15 minutes, done, fine. The second, which was 100 times harder, was to fill up the entire well without clearing a line first, then clear line 20, which is at the very top of the stack, then line 10, which is bang in the middle, and then line one in sequence without clearing any others in between. Fuck. And it's it's part skill, but it's mostly luck. And it easily took two or three hours of playtime because it's, it's so reliant on being blessed by RNG to provide the pieces just so. And, you know, you, you've seen me play Tetris. I can play high-level Tetris and I can manage a stack that's about to top out without much trouble when I can chip away the pile line by line. But by forcing you to aim for specific line clears, it really does ramp up the challenge mm. because you need to factor in space to place garbage pieces you don't want as well. So you somehow need to build up to that top line whilst also maintaining these huge gaps to be able to throw rubbish into while you're waiting for the pieces that you do need. So it was it was really tough. But I was very, very proud of doing that one. That was that was quite yeah, an achievement. It should be. That's excellent. Quite an achievement. Well done. The other main game I've played this week is the pseudo sequel to Res, Child of Eden. And I've owned this game for a long time, basically since it came out on the Xbox 360. Now I've got a PlayStation 3 copy. It never quite worked for me, but it's really nice when a game that you didn't quite gel with on first play suddenly makes sense for some reason. And after years of basically writing Eden off as just not being as good as Res, it's been a real treat for it to finally click and start to 
unveil itself really as like every bit the visual and thematic stepping stone between res and tetris effect because it's still got like the sharp digital edges that res has but it's also got the kind of the animal silhouettes and the obsession with subaquatic sea life and the particle effects and everything else that we associate with tetris effect now the biggest criticisms i had with child of eden when i first played it were that it moved from third person to first person and that felt a little bit jarring when it came to trying to avoid projectiles and moving along the game's rails um, especially when you're attempting to play it kind of post res infinite that you know i'd played in vr for, for quite a long time at this stage it all just seemed a bit futile to try and go back and the music didn't quite hit the same way like it was less kind of uh, edm and techno it was more kind of like a sort of i don't know a poppy blend but playing it in 2022 the solution to all of these problems for me has just been to play it on a a bigger screen and b to just sit closer to the tv and turn the volume up and and suddenly it's like this is just a different game everything feels different when i'm one yard away from my screen it changes everything and suddenly it's it's almost as immersive as playing in vr and the light show of the thing is still like a real sight to behold even considering the the game's original release was 2011 and it's never had a modern update. You know, this is the only way to play it. And the music, despite having kind of more of that electronic pop feel than maybe the more crystalline beats of Res, it fits the added Technicolor of this world really well. And it's really something. Really, really <laughs> good. Like playing it as well, the, the big mechanical change to this game that I never really got into before as well is that your score is impacted by releasing your shots on the beat of the music. So even though the sound is always quantized, so it fits the soundtrack, whatever you do, in order to maximize your grading, you need to continually lock on to eight targets at once and then let go of the lock on on beat. And you want to be essentially doing that like back to back to back. And you can play it casually. You don't have to worry about that stuff. It's still a fun time. You can still make it through the stages. But again, like starting to play it properly really changed my feelings towards the game too, because you start to consider, okay, when am I going to hold off releasing my lock-on to keep my combo going? When am I going to cut my losses because I need to protect myself from incoming fire? And it's quite simple risk-reward stuff. But the pulse and flash and the kind of orchestra hit of everything around you is just accented that much more when you're having to sort of chain these successive shots in sequence. And like Rares and Tetris Effect, you feel a bit drunk and giddy by the end of a 15-minute level. Like it's, it's a real rush and it's a real just... Well, it's synesthesia is the whole point that it's, it's trying to stimulate in the same way that almost all of uh, Tetsuya Mitsugushi's games attempt to. I've been picking through the game stages and upping my score and star rating with each successive play. And I'm just really glad I finally got this game properly. Even if the main feeling I'm left with is just a, a total yearning to play it in VR. Yeah. Because it would be sensational. It might be better than Res in that kind of context. It's really hard to say because it is a different feeling. After Child of Eden, after playing that quite a lot this week, not quite Tetris or Mitsugushi satiated, I went back and played a few hours of Tetris Effect as well. <laughs> well, not really for score, just for the atmosphere of it. Did you play it in VR or on the Switch? I didn't. I played it on the Switch Wonderful. this time because it's had a few patches since launch mm. and it's smoother and the graphics are sharper than they were when they first came out. It's lovely. It's such a good port. It's great. It's great. And it's in whatever format you play it in, Tetris Effect is an incredible achievement though it is one that I will save talking about for a few weeks yet. Oh, shit, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, cool, yeah. I'll keep that one in my pocket for now. But yeah, very good game. Please go and buy it if you haven't already, people. This is <laughs> one of the most important and, and vital things I think I've ever played in my life. So get it bought on some platform and enjoy it. Get it done. <laughs> Tetris means Tetris. <laughs>
So we're on to uh, the big chunk of this episode and leading uh, the way in big chunks is Chris. (laughs) Let's go. Nine times out of ten, if someone tells you a game is funny, it isn't. Yes, yes. (laughs) And games are a curious thing because in order to really be a game, there has to be an element of interactivity. So by extension, as soon as a player is in control, the type direction that you need to deliver a good joke is just lost. And so jokes are usually stuck into the lulls of a game where a player has put the pad down. So, you know, I've, I've, I've played plenty of games where a game cutscene can elicit a smirk or a giggle, but a cutscene has been directed and it's been framed and it's been paced. And you're essentially just watching an animated movie sat within a game at that stage. And a lot of games, when you then transpose the same characters to action that you have agency over you just end up with something like Nathan Drake jumping around, spouting the same repeating lines and then forcing you to listen to the same dialogue when you reload a checkpoint. And even if it made you grin the first time, it won't the second, third, fourth and fifth. It's just, it's not funny. It doesn't work. Sometimes as well, maybe a text crawl or flavor text can include good jokes. You know, I've played visual novels before, for example, that have moments of good humor. But essentially, it being a choose-your-own-adventure game, even with interactive elements or branching paths, it's a book, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, like the cutscenes in Uncharted, jokes can be paced and the humour can be set up and it can be paid off at the director's behest. So how does anyone make a game where humour is organic? Where the entire container of a joke is in the hands of the player? Put a goose in it. And the answer is just make Untitled Goose Game. Yes! Oh, yes. Yeah. Honk. I think most of the internet was playing or at least exposed to Untitled Goose Game when it launched in 2019. It was a viral hit, you could say. But if you didn't play it, if you you know nothing about it, it's a short three or four hour puzzle game, I guess. It takes elements from adventure games and point and click games in a way. And it asks you as a goose to complete simple one line tasks using the items in your environment to manipulate the, the denizens of the village you're in and to help you solve these I guess cryptic instructions like steal the groundskeeper's keys or go shopping or make someone break the fancy vase. So there's no more context than that. You you just have to kind of find what it's referring to in the environment and work out how to do it. It's fun to work out each request on the to-do list because it means engaging with the world and engaging with what are almost like immersive sim elements because you're constantly asking questions like, well, how will that woman react to me if I pick up this item? Or how is that boy going to respond if I honk at him? And (laughs) the game world is quite small and each stage is pretty compact, but every area is stuffed with things and interactive pieces that just all fit together to create a really satisfying puzzle box of interacting systems. But that alone is, is not why I hold this game in such high regard. And what I really, really love about this thing is the game's humor. And I, I genuinely believe, and I think I said this back when we were kind of playing it concurrently, I think Untitled Goose Game is one of the only games I've played that does physical comedy in a video game right because it lets you as the player be the agent of chaos that sets up the framework of a joke and then delivers the physical payoff at your own behest. Yeah. (laughs) And there's loads of games that might place an enemy guard, for instance, like next to an explosive barrel, and then they let you make it go bang. And for that moment, you're like, yeah, I've got agency. I did that. I took that shot. I watched the guy fall over the railings or get launched across my field of view. It's enjoyable, but it's also very intentional by the hands of the developer. That same intent is, of course, there in Goose Game as well, because the checklist ensures that you are working towards something. 
But the sense of setup and specific pacing of each joke or piece of physical comedy is all on you as the player. One task in particular really exemplifies this for me. And I won't talk about many specifics in this game because it's not that long. And I think you need to play it yourself to really appreciate why it's so good. But midway through the game, you're asked simply to get into the pub as, as a task on your checklist. And if you survey the entrance to the pub for a little while, you'll notice that there's a delivery driver and they're moving boxes from a nearby van through a little locked gate and into the pub garden. So you're like, okay, I can figure out what I'm meant to do here. Bit of trial and error. You can establish that if you drag a box into what will be the delivery person's line of sight, climb inside it, you can be safely carried in. And that's the kind of classic point and click part of the game. Because you look at what you have at your disposal, you think about kind of how you can make those items and NPCs work for you. But I'm willing to bet almost every penny I make in my lifetime (laughs) that almost every single player, rather than waiting for the Goosefield box to be delivered safely into the pub, press the button to either honk and then confuse the person carrying you or just jumped out mid-war, wings akimbo, and then just caused the driver to shit themselves. Because the, the desire to do it is so strong because you've set the whole thing up. You, you've kind of put all these things in motion. You know you're supposed to be like a very chaotic element in this village. That is very much the purpose of the goose. So in your head, you're like, I could do that. I think I'll honk. I'm just going to see what happens if I honk. And it's it's a joy. It's such a joy. <laughs> Every one of these little kind of uh, like vignettes that you set up is underscored by a brilliant dynamic soundtrack as well that, that takes Debussy's preludes and it cuts and reconfigures it to follow the ebb and flow of your movement and actions. And it works so well that it slows to applaud when you're kind of sneaking along, dragging a rake funny in itself (laughs) and and then it suddenly rushes to kind of like a more startled resolution when you engage someone in a chase as you've stolen something off their market stool there's a sort of slapstick glee to untitled goose game and it works as well as it does because it always lets the player be in charge of the joke and as i said at the top of this games fail when attempting to be funny because i imagine it's very hard to build around a sort of dynamic scaffold like this you know, as a peek behind the curtain, this show we are talking on now is edited. And a huge amount of the time in that process is given over to nailing the pacing of a joke and the pacing of a joke's response. So it kind of hits properly. You know, we're creators, we have control over that. We're we're trying to deliver a product in kind of our our image. We know what we want it to sound like. But I have no idea how House House, who are the developers of Untitled Goose Game, would have gone about writing and scripting something intended to be played through in such a freeform way. Like there's, there's just a real confidence to giving players the tools to make a joke and then just trusting them to make it well. But if you were on Twitter at the time of this game's launch, everyone was making those jokes well. <laughs> you know, everyone got what they were supposed to be doing. Everyone was delivering on that setup. And I really, really love it. I think there's maybe only two real developer-paced jokes in this whole game, but both are such bangers as well and show that the team have such a great sense of humor between them one is the incredibly funny press x to honk instruction when you first take control of the goose yeah uh and and that genuinely made me laugh out loud as a piece of text that plays on the codes and conventions of of introductory tutorials and games that ridiculous call of duty screenshot from years ago it was like press f to pay respects (laughs) at like a military funeral and the second joke which i won't spoil is a a visual gag connected to the game's ending, which makes such tremendous use of, of, of like the callback as a setup to perfectly swaddle 
this whole silly experience and almost like a Groundhog Day style rapper. It's just, it's really good. I was totally sold on Untitled Use Game from the first trailer. But as with any piece of media, sometimes on release, it doesn't quite stick the landing. But that is absolutely not the case here. Like every single promise that was inferred in that first little chunk of footage is fully delivered upon in the final game. And what's better, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Because if I had to make these jokes for 40 hours, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they'd wear thin for me as well. But it's just pitched so, so well that by the end of it, you're left just like, you could have a little bit more mm-hmm. taste on your lips. One more bite would be fantastic. And I think that's the best way to finish, you know, really leaving you wanting more. It's a real treasure. And for me, I genuinely think this is likely the funniest game of all time. Now, in terms of games leaving or game leaving, there is no connection between Horrible Geese and the game that is being kicked off the list today <laughs> because DJ Hero is being shown the door. Aww. Now, it's, it's really sad, but when I was playing DJ Hero, it was the only thing I was thinking about back when I was really into it. And according to True Achievements, which is a site I used to use obsessively to track my Xbox Gamer Score progress, I am in the less than 1% of players who fully beat DJ Hero. <laughs> I was very involved in it and I was very good at it. And yet when DJ Hero 2 launched like a year on, as much as it fixed and refined loads of the teething problems that were present in the first game, it didn't grab me in the same way. Like I never finished that one 100%. I'd graduated from university at that stage. So perhaps I just didn't have the same time to commit to it that I did when I was kind of, you know, studying ostensibly. But whatever the reason, it just didn't pull me in. And I feel that's something I, I probably could have reflected more on when writing this list originally. Because as a thought experiment, if DJ Hero had followed the path of Guitar Hero with years of almost annualised sequels, would it have held my interest? Or was it just a one and done kind of oddball experiment in the Hero franchise? But either way, even if I've thought about DJ Hero a fair few times since rinsing the first game in 2009, I've not really played it since. Whereas I've run through Untitled Goose Game start to finish three or four times in the last few years. And most recently in co-op. Ah, yeah. I was going to ask if you played that. Yeah, it it got a patch about a year on uh, that allowed a second player to control a second goose. And it leaves even more room and space for japes. (laughs) Like It it works really, really well. Like it doesn't water down the experience at all. You you approach it in a different way. And I think it's it's good to play it like that after you've already finished it in single player. Because it's just the same game, but with a, a second controller. But it adds to it because I think now that you know kind of what works within the confines of the world, you can try and exploit it that little bit more. So, you know, stealing a a set of keys is much easier when you've got one person whose sole job is just to dance around and honk at a gate to get someone's attention. (laughs) Untitled Goose Game is going in my list somewhere around the mid-30s. It is... A wonderful Mr. Bean episode of a game. It's you know, it's it's a it's a ridiculous Charlie Chaplin film of a game. Just top, top stuff. I, I love it very much. Well done. Well done. I was just thinking actually, playing it in co-op, if one if you've played it and you're playing it with somebody who hasn't played it, yeah. that is the only time you can really enjoy a joke a second time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've watched the James Acaster stand-ups so many times because I just love them and I find them I think they're brilliant and genius and I find them very comforting but 
I will never get the same experience as seeing it for the first time until I share it with somebody who I really care about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I want to see what their opinion is. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll be sort of there tittering behind my hand being like, oh, you don't know the punchline. <laughs> it's so good. You're going to love it. <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd be like that if I played, if I played Untitled Goose Game in co-op with Sammy, which I think I'm really going to try and do uh, soon because she would love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's probably she probably saw me play a bit of it. I probably you know pulled her over and was like, "Look, look I'm going to do a bit with a honk." <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, but I think we'd have such a wonderful time playing that. Uh, it's just it's just pure chaotic good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really is. It really is. I think for me, Untitled Goose Game is an incredibly liberating game because so often you have games that give you um, the, the the choice of morality, uh, like things like uh, Mass Effect with the, the the Paragon and the Renegade uh, choices. Whether you be like, do, do you help this person or do you like, you know, do you, do you pistol whip them? Do you fuck them? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Fable. That's another yeah. one that has the uh, the morality. It's I think it's just incredibly liberating because like I think everybody in this country has at least either experienced or known somebody who has experienced um, terrible goose violence in real life. <laughs> right? It's a very British trait, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like. You know, you're going for a walk around the park. You obviously you go onto the like the shit covered verge just to avoid the uh, the really quite harsh gaze of a Canada goose. <laughs> you know, you show me somebody who thinks they could genuinely take a goose in a fight, and I'll show you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's an almost primal instinct when you look at a goose that's like yeah forget a lion this is the real king of the beasts do you know what i mean <laughs> to put you in the shoes of a goose it i don't think it even needed press y to honk i think it's just like you're now a goose and there's a part in your lizard brain that tells you exactly what you need to do and that is to just yeah be just an incredible nuisance and see if there is any truth to the rumour that they can break your arm. <laughs> or is that swans? I was talking about the ultimate, you know, having the power trips in games and looking to doom and and, and all of that sort of stuff. No need. No, no need. Goose. <laughs> Goose up. <laughs> Goose eternal. <laughs> yeah. I didn't actually play as much as of this game as I think I should. And I think it's... I, I can't remember. There were two games that came out on this day. The other one was, was some, you know, some big old rpg wank that obviously was going to get so much more of my attention but i yeah i, I do need to go back to it I, it was it was really really good fun um yeah i don't even think i've completed it actually oh, oh minty minty yeah yeah one of the things that i really love about this game is um reading some of the things that the developers wrote about what sort of inspired the game and I don't think I've got it on this phone, but there is just a screenshot of their Slack chat. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I think it was just like, idea, um, you are a goose. Yeah, yeah. And they just they just sort of talked around the idea for, for pages and pages. And one of them said, uh, it blows my mind that they're just two colours. <laughs> like, that'll always stick yeah. in my head. And that's, that's, like, even outside of, like, the charming visuals, the uh, the anarchic gameplay, they... That, 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 just that perfect little bit of humour, that is, that, that encapsulates the game for me outside of the game itself. It's great. It's really great. It still blows my mind that if you make a, make a goose head shape with your hand, 
which obviously you know how to do. Yeah. It's the exact same shape as a goose's head. Yeah. That is uncanny. And um, sometimes Sammy will just like, I'll have just like, we'll be watching something and she'll just turn to me and she'll see me and I'm there just, just making a goose honk with my hand, just, you know, inaudibly, just being fascinated by it because I'm just constantly, look at it. It's just, oh, it's uncanny. Oh, that's a, that's a good podcast content. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there we have it. That was Chris's amendment. It was a, it was a lovely day in this podcast and Chris had a horrible amendment. And it was. <laughs> Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> Wonderful. What a game. What a game. If you've enjoyed uh, this episode, if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do. Uh, share the podcast on social media. Oh, another thing. Do you remember how at the end of podcasts everyone say, leave us a review, five stars? Do that. Do that. We haven't said that in years. Um, but apparently it's not something to be taken for granted. So we'd be very much appreciative if you could uh, leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And uh, yeah, that would go that would go a long way to support us. We'd very much appreciate it. And if you want to support us even more, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C games. Have a look at the perks available there. Bonus episodes, deleted scenes, outtakes, access to the Patreon exclusive Discord server, just loads of stuff, loads of stuff. Again, we'd be hugely appreciative of any support that you can give us. Don't forget about our competition as well. Oh, that'll get you access. Just share an article from our website. Share an article from our website and you can be playing Back for Blood with us. Before you know it. Back before. Back for. Back for you know it. Back for you know it. <laughs> That's the one. Um, if you want to reach out to us personally uh, to see if see if I just need a bit of help at the moment, then uh, you know you can you can you can check in check in with me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges, and I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next time when I will be amending my list even further. Yes, you will. and video games? Well, so do we! We're Kinsey and Mark from Kyoto Indie Dev's Chuhai Labs. Join us twice monthly for games, silly Japan news, and all-around nonsense. We stink at making commercials. <laughs> we f***ing got this one, bro. Be sure to stop by the Chuhai Labs Discord to chat about our games or ask us questions. Chuhai Labs and the Nasty Labs Podcast. We're legally the best. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell, around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games, that's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000, because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000, now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Do you play games on the PC? Then make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 Mechanical Gaming Keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste Wireless Mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the numpad and function keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection, up to 100 hours of battery life, and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless. 
keep your setup clean and clutter free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse.